The reading is from Galatians 2:15 to 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege to be here. I pray that you would just give all of us hearts and minds and hands to hear the word of God preached today and to respond to it by the power of your Holy Spirit and for your glory. I pray, Father, that you would make me a vessel of your word, help me to preach it with accuracy and clarity. Father, may I be just a transmitter of what you want said today. Remove from me the flesh and the temptation to be clever. Let it be your word that resounds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judgment is coming. Listen to Psalm 1 that we started our service with again. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The text says it very clearly. There are two groups. Those who will be judged righteous, and those who will be judged Wicked, and if they are judged wicked, they perish. There is no third category. Judgment is coming. Do you know what will happen when you enter into God's judgment? What will you point to when God in his holiness brings you into his judgment? To say, you belong with the righteous. There's no more important question than that. Judgment is coming. Why is that phrase so foreign to our ears? Why starting a sermon with judgment is coming seems a little bit edgy for a church. Why are you thinking, oh no, what kind of pastor have we got? (laughs) Well, maybe not yours. 
Judgment is coming is something that shows up repeatedly in our Bible. In fact, I would wager that I can find judgment is coming on every page of your scriptures. So if judgment is so common in the Bible, why is it so strange to hear a pastor that talks about it? Judgment is a strange topic in many churches because I believe many churches have drifted away from faith alone. Rather than preaching salvation from judgment, we are preaching solutions to felt needs. Faith is what we add to become a better person. Faith is what we add to increase your happiness. Faith is what we give you to give you that little pat on the back from a hard week. Faith is what we suggest to you as the secret to a better family, to a better marriage, to a better sex life, to better relationships, to more productive work. It's that thing that we add. Faith in many churches is to offer you Jesus the therapist, not Jesus the Savior. We preach faith to make you slight, your, your slight deficiencies in life whole or to give you just the aroma of purpose and significance that you can go through life feeling good about yourself. I fear the modern church, at least in America, is in serious drift away from the gospel. They are losing the necessity of faith alone. It is because of this that we must make sure that we are grounded in the true gospel, the true biblical gospel. And that is why we continue our series, First Things, on the five solos of the gospel, and look at that third article, which is faith alone. Faith alone means that we are saved by nothing more or less than trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The Reformation was sparked because the gospel message of salvation by faith alone had become lost in the Roman Catholic Church. Faith had become a part of your salvation, but not sufficient for your salvation. To be saved, you had to add good works, and if you lacked good works, you had to do penance and other things. And so the gospel that the Reformers met was a gospel that said you need faith plus works to be found righteous and justified before God. You see, the Roman Catholic Church had lost the gospel by undermining the sufficiency of faith alone. And faith alone became to the Reformers the doctrine upon which the church stood or fell. It is the hinge, as many of them said, upon which the whole gospel turned. To lose sight of faith alone is to fall away from the gospel entirely. And that is why, again, the title page of our sermon series is to evoke the idea of a constitution. Because it is not only the essential things that we must start from, these are the essential things that must govern us going forward. If we depart from faith alone, we become unconstitutional. We fail our mandate of preaching the gospel. And so it is essential as we begin our relationship together that we are grounded in faith alone. We need to preach faith alone today as it is the only means to combat the message that faith is not sufficient to save or that faith 
is only a good but not a necessary thing. The gospel that we must be committed to and that I am here to preach is this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in accordance with the scriptures alone, and all to the glory of God alone. We preach the gospel because of this fact. Judgment is coming. And if you do not have an answer before a holy God, you will be counted wicked. Judgment is is coming, and unless you become counted with the righteous, you will perish. Today, we are going to look at the only thing that can justify us before a holy God, which is faith alone in Christ alone. The gospel alone offers us the three gifts that we need to be saved. When we grasp these three gifts, we discover that we have all that we need to find comfort in this life and in, and in death. Our text today is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. The gospel was under threat from those who thought that faith alone was not a sufficient gospel. And so in response, Paul argues vigorously that the gospel is by faith alone, in Christ alone. And in that gospel that he preaches, we find these three gifts that we need to be saved. So let us turn to our text and see the first of those three gifts that we receive through faith alone, in Christ alone. All right, and if you have a little handout in your bulletin, you can follow along. Faith alone in Christ alone gives us the first gift, which is complete righteousness before God. Faith alone gives us complete righteousness before God. Let's read our text again. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul here is having an argument with Peter, which is one of the most shocking events that we find in the scriptures after the resurrection of Jesus. We have a conflict between two apostles. Peter had been eating in the church in Antioch, with a mixed group. There were Gentiles and there were, there were Jewish believers who had all accepted Christ. And he was eating with the Gentiles. But then a group, which are called the Judaizers, came in and began saying that to really be part of the people of God, you need to have circumcision. And Peter was intimidated by this group. And so he put down his po'boy and he moved his table to the table with all of the Jewish people. He left the Gentiles and sat next to his Jewish kin. And the message that that act of moving from one table to the next was monumental because he was speaking with his actions that this group is not quite fully there to be part of my table fellowship. There is something additional that you need to have to really be in fellowship with me in the gospel. And that was some of these Jewish rites like circumcision. And so it communicated that these who came to faith from a Gentile background, 
that their faith alone was not really enough to be part of the people of God. There were additional matters that had to be added, such as circumcision, such as food rights, and other such things. And so Paul sees this and rebukes him in the strongest words and in the most public way. And we are reading part of his address to Peter here. The question that Paul asks Peter as he, as he wants him to reflect on his actions is this very basic question. Can we justify ourselves before God? The question that Paul is asking Peter is causing him to reflect. And I want us to reflect on the same question. Can you justify yourself before God? Now, I know if you've been raised in under gospel preaching, your default answer is no, but, but what we need to recognize is it wasn't what Peter had in his head. It was what Peter was acting out that was in contradiction to the gospel. And both of those must be lined up if we truly believe what justification by faith calls us to believe. So when I ask you, can we justify ourselves before God, I am asking, don't just give me the Sunday school answer. Examine your life. Paul, in his response to Peter, pulls out from underneath him two possible areas of justification, which are temptations to all of us. He shows us, first of all, that our personal importance does not justify us. You see, the Jewish mindset was that having circumcision, having these food laws, having the law of God was part of our approval, our acceptance before God. And so therefore, having those things made you part of the people of God. And if the Gentiles did not have that, then they were kind of still sinners. They're Jews by birth. They have a fabulous birthright, and that's, that's true. They've, they've had the, the word of God with them, and they've grown up with the word of God, and these Gentiles have not. And so suddenly, because they started earlier, and they got a head start, and they've had all of these laws that they have learned to live by, they recognized when they were together that there really was a club inside the club. And that was, if you're Jewish, you're closer to God you're more approved by God than if you didn't come through being a Jew. And so we have here the idea of personal importance. Personal importance is where we find so much of our justification. I am a good person because X, Y, and Z. I must be a good person because I have a nice house. I must be a good person because I do my taxes. I must be a good person because I have a good job. I must be a good person because I go to Target and not Walmart. There's a reason that you are interested in Target. It is appealing to you that you're just a little bit better. You just have a little higher standard. That's the whole reason Target exists. And that's the, that's what Target is trying to feed you into. And I know there's a lot of reasons not to want to go to Walmart. But you've got to recognize in the heart, Target is saying, you're more special than Walmart. And you believe it. And you believe it in the car that you drive. You believe it in the vacations that you take. You believe it in the money that's in your bank. I'm a pretty important person. I am too big to fail. And Paul is stressing 
first and foremost, that your personal importance does not justify you. Bringing your red card to God will not add any value to him in, to you in his eyes. So he is, he is discrediting this idea, and it's important for us to recognize, especially as people who live in a Christian nation, who are American, who have fought on the right side of every war for righteousness, that there are no coattails to the gospel. There is nothing that you can point to that makes you important that is going to justify you before God. The Gospel of John says this, and it is good news, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. One one, uh, pastor uh, remarked that God has no grandchildren. You must personally put your faith in the gospel. It's not your Christian home. It's not your Christian parents. It's not your Christian culture. It's not the fact that you've always voted for the right candidate. None of that adds anything to who you are in God's eyes. The only way that you become a child of God is by forsaking the idea of personal importance and trusting in Christ. So as we look at personal importance and its failure to justify us, we must also recognize the second thing Paul tells us. Our personal goodness cannot justify us before God. Our personal goodness cannot justify us before God. Paul says it is not by works of the law. Now, in Peter's mind, he may have simply been thinking of those boundary markers like uh, circumcision or food laws or Sabbath observance. But Paul recognizes that those works of the law, those boundary markers, are inseparably connected to the entire Old Testament law. And so when we decide that we are going to be justified by our obedience to one particular law, the reality is we must be justified by our obedience to every part of the law and so when, when Paul is using the works of the law, we need to recognize that he is not picking out one or two laws. He is speaking of them all. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, he specifies this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So when Paul is talking about the works of the law, he is talking about our obedience to the whole law. Not a part but to all of it. And so Paul is saying to Peter here that our personal goodness cannot justify us before God because we cannot pick and choose which laws we've obeyed and say that that puts us closer to God or that that satisfies God's requirement to justify us before him. Paul references Psalm 143, which is what we read at the beginning of our service or towards the beginning of our service during our confession, which says... Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you. That is the sum of our personal righteousness. But again, the question is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that our righteousness will get us nowhere with God, our goodness will get us nowhere with God. I was thinking of, as I was working on this sermon 
about uh, Seinfeld and the episode of George finding a very beautiful cashmere sweater. The only thing about it is very small, a little bitty red dot. Good news, very cheap. Was able to buy the cashmere sweater quite cheap and was able to take that cashmere sweater and give it to one of his friends, Elaine, and Elaine receives it and is all excited about it. It's a beautiful cashmere sweater, but the red dot is discovered. And suddenly the cashmere sweater is not such a great gift and it needs to be returned. George, you see, had thought that buying that cashmere sweater at a discounted price was going to earn him all the favor he could possibly imagine with his friend Elaine. But that red dot, which he thought would not be seen, was found, and it ruined the entire gift. The fact of the matter is, there's something to be learned from that. We walk through this world wearing cashmere sweaters with little red dots. But we hide the red dot. We do a very good job of keeping the red dot out of view from other people. People will say, it's a good person. He's such a nice guy. He's such a wonderful friend. Uh, he's, he's, he or she is so nice, always does the right thing. But the red dot of our greed, the red dot of our sexually immoral thoughts, the red dot of our anger under our breath is there. And if we confuse ourselves thinking that everybody else that looks at us that doesn't see the red dot means that we will find approval when we stand before God, we are gravely mistaken. That red dot will ruin the entire presentation, the entire opinion of your personal goodness. I think of the story of Isaiah when he was a prophet of God, called out by God, a righteous person among his people if there ever was one, and yet he encounters God in the temple He comes across a vision of God where the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is terrified to even look at the true God. And the only thing he can say, this righteous man amongst the people of Israel is, Woe is me, I have unclean lips. There was no righteousness that gave him any sense that he could be in the presence of a holy God. He was suddenly aware of all of the filthy talk and the filthy speech that he had had. His red dot became so big, it crushed him. And so I have to to warn you, if you are here thinking that you have a personal goodness that will stand before God, recognize that God will see the red dot, and the red dot will disqualify you, because heaven is white as snow. No red dot allowed. If we are trusting our own personal goodness, when we stand before God, the only word that we will hear is guilty. Guilty. Depart from me. Paul summarizes it quite uh, well in Romans 3, chapter 23, where he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One red dot fall short of the glory of God, and yet we are polka-dotted. So we look at our personal importance, we look at our personal goodness, and we have to conclude with Paul, yes, you're right. 
I do not stand before a holy God. I cannot find God's justification, God's ruling that you are righteous in my sight if I want to stand before him on my own sense of self-importance or on my own sense of goodness. Both of those fall short. And that is why the gospel is good news because it is precisely in the awareness that we fall short as people and we fall short in our actions that there is still hope and good news. But the answer to that good news is to forsake entirely our trust in those works. And that is something that Peter was not doing. That is something that the church constantly struggles to do. So if we cannot be justified in ourselves, how do we find our justification? The good news is that faith in Jesus Christ alone offers the justification that we need to be saved. Full stop. Paul says we are justified by faith, not by works. By faith means we recognize our inability to save ourselves. We recognize that our red dots are filthy rags. There is no righteousness that we can stand before God with. We recognize that our our personal goodness, all the things that we do to make ourselves feel like we're okay, that we're better in this life, will add not one thing to God's judgment or God's kindness towards us. We must recognize our inability to be saved by anything within ourselves. That is the stumbling stone of the gospel. Because we do not want to truly assess ourselves as God will assess ourselves. But the grace of the gospel is all who come to the point of recognizing that their personal goodness and their personal self-importance will not justify them get to hear the good news that in Jesus Christ you can be justified. The reason that faith justifies us where personal goodness and, and good works don't is because it connects us to Jesus Christ who alone is righteous. Faith does not save us because of faith. Faith saves us because it connects us to Christ. There are are messengers out there who just say believe without telling you what to believe in. The object of our faith is the most important part of this. It's not how strong is your faith. It's who your faith is in that is most important. And so faith is like a plug connected to the outlet. I've moved down from Kansas City down to, uh, to Baton Rouge now, and I am becoming a major fan of fans. Those fans can do a lot, but they don't do anything if they are not plugged into the wall. Plugging them into the wall is what gives them all the power to, 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 to blow the wind and bring down the temperature. Faith is like a, a, a plug. It connects us to Christ so that all of his power, all of his resources, all of his goodness, all of his righteousness is allowed to flow to us, is allowed to be counted towards us. By faith, God sees his son and all his righteousness when he looks at you. You are connected to Christ, and so instead of seeing the red dots Instead of seeing all the failed attempts to justify yourself, God is able to look at you and see Christ and all of his righteousness. Because you are connected by faith to Christ, God can look at you 
and seeing Christ's righteousness can then declare you just and righteous in his sight. Christ is the only source of perfect righteousness in this world, and it is only by taking hold of him that we can be justified. As Paul tells us in his other epistle, Romans chapter 5, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Those who put their faith in Christ are justified by Christ because all that is Christ becomes yours. Yours. The good news is, as you look at your personal goodness, as you look at your personal self-importance and you see it for what it is, junk, the good news is all that you can't be and all that you can't do has been done and completed in Christ. That's the good news. And he gives this to you freely, by faith. All who come to him and say, I need Jesus to save me, have all that they need to be saved. So faith alone in Christ alone gives us complete righteousness before God. It justifies us before God. But the second gift is also important. Faith alone in Christ alone gives us freedom from the law's condemnation. Faith alone and Christ alone gives us freedom from the law's condemnation. Let's look again at, at Galatians chapter 17 through 20. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. So when we talk about faith alone, the constant attack on this message is that if you're saved by faith alone, and that's all you need, then you're free to sin. So sin all you want because grace is going to abound. The message against faith alone is that it makes you free to sin. And that is what is happening in uh, verse 17. Paul is, is quoting his adversaries who say, if it is by faith alone, then isn't Christ made a servant of sin? This is to say that if you're saved by faith alone and you put your faith in Christ alone, then when you sin, you're bringing Christ into your sin, and you are making Christ a servant of sin. If it's only by faith alone that you're justified and not by your obedience to the law, then there is nothing to keep you from having Christ and taking on sin. And that is an important charge that Paul has to answer. His opponents are basically saying, sure, we can't be saved by works alone. I agree with you. We can't be saved by works alone. But if we say faith alone, then aren't you making it okay to sin, which is definitely wrong? Since it's not okay to sin, we must teach instead that we are justified by faith plus works. You see, if you have works, then that's going to continue to incentivize your obedience to the law. If you don't have works, if you're justified by faith, then you're just free to sin. What's, 
What do you have to say to that, Paul? Certainly not. Paul, in the strongest terms, rejects this conclusion. Paul's answer instead is that to add works to faith for justification is to return us to the condemnation of the law. Let's look carefully at verse 18. It is a very dense verse, so I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to go through it piece by piece. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What Paul is doing here is he is saying that to rebuild, which is meaning to put the law back into effect for part of our justification, what I tore down, meaning what I acknowledged I broke when I put my faith in Christ, is then to prove myself a transgressor. You see, what he is saying is, you've recognized that you can't keep the law. So if you are then going to go back to the law, you're only going back to condemnation. You're only going back to transgression. How does it make us a transgressor? There are two ways that that we return as a transgressor when we try to do faith plus works for salvation. First way is it returns us back to fulfilling the works of the law. And again, remember, the works of the law are all or one, or all, all or none. If we do not fulfill all of the works of the law, then the works of the law can do nothing to justify us. So if you are to return back as part of your justification, your obedience to the law, it will inevitably come back insufficient, fail. So it cannot help you. But second, and perhaps More important, it makes us a transgressor because it deliberately turns us away from fully trusting Christ. If we go back to the law to find our righteousness, then we are saying, I cannot fully trust Christ for my righteousness. That takes Jesus Christ as Savior and shrinks him down and makes him insufficient. To say justification equals faith plus works is to say Christ doesn't get you the whole way. If justification equals faith plus works, it is going to destroy the gospel. And here's why. One, it cheapens the blood of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross was not enough to save you. So what he did was too small. And second, faith plus works for our justification robs us of the assurance of salvation. Because if we are going to say that, that justification is faith plus works, how many works do you need to add to Christ? Will you ever know that you have done enough good works to add it to faith? There is no equation where we know how many works you have to do. So you, if you live by faith plus works, have to live in constant questioning of whether or not you will be saved. Constant fear that instead of being declared righteous before God, you will be declared condemned before God. There is no assurance in faith plus works. Paul obliterates this entirely in verse 21 where he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 
There can be no mixture between our faith and our works for our justification. Because if we want to add works, then we are nullifying the grace of God. And if we are nullifying the grace of God, we are saying that there is a path of righteousness where Christ did not have to die. And that means Christ's blood was shed needlessly. That cannot be true. That is outrage. So instead of faith plus works, we have to recognize what Paul concludes from the gospel, that through the law, I died to the law, verse 19. Paul presents the reality of the law. It is not a means for us to be justified. The law is a mirror that shows us our guiltiness. Faith alone in Christ frees us from the condemnation of the law because Christ alone takes the condemnation of the law for us. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ died for all of the condemnation of the law that fell upon us. And in faith, Christ has died for it. I have been crucified with Christ. And so, when we put our faith in Christ, God again views us as one with Christ. He sees our sins paid for totally by Christ's death on the cross and the works of the law perfectly fulfilled in Christ. The idea is like that of marriage. You get married and you combine your assets and your liabilities. So you can all remember, you know, that first morning of your honeymoon when your beautiful spouse looked over at you and said, thank you for taking on all of my student debt. Wasn't that one of the most romantic parts of getting married? But that's what Christ does. You have multiple debts. You have incredible baggage. And Christ has uncountable treasure. And when you are married to him, he pays for all of the baggage, all of the debts. He pays by laying his own life down, forfeit for it. But at the same time, because you are united to Christ, all of his treasure, all of his inheritance, all of his belonging in heaven is also yours. That is why we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Because what else do we need if we have all of our guilt removed and we have all of our righteousness that we need given to us? What else could we need? The beautiful story of the gospel is all those red dots, all those red dots that you have that you are trying to hide, the Lord takes them away. Isaiah 118 is fulfilled in the gospel. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It is because Christ has completely paid for your sins, that every red dot that separates you from the glory of God has been removed and made you white as snow. Because we are no longer justified by the law, the accuser is silenced. Here's what I struggle with. I assume you struggle with too. 
you're saved, and yet you wake up or you go to bed and you reflect on your day and these messages hit you. You are not good enough. God can't love you for that. Go ahead, sin, because you're hopeless. Those are the messages of the accuser who wants you to think you're not justified by faith alone. You are justified or not justified by your failure to keep the law. And so those messages, they hit you and they are meant to crush you and imprison you again in sin. I, I, I appreciate these words from Luther who answers the devil and gives you the answer to When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, I shall be also. When the accuser screams, at you for all of your sins and all of your unworthiness, you can say, I know. But I've been had my sins paid for, and I've had my sins forgiven, and I am in Christ. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The message to the accuser is paid and forgiven. By faith alone, we are free from all the condemnation of the law. And the beautiful thing is, finally, as verse 19 tells us, we are able to live to God. That then leads us into the third gift of faith alone, which is that faith alone in Christ alone gives us security in God's transforming love. How does faith alone destroy sin in the believer's life? If our obedience to the law doesn't have anything to do with our justification, then how does it not lead us into more sin? It's very simple. Faith in Christ fills us with the only power to live in righteousness, the life of Christ. As Paul says in verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, by faith, our life is given to Christ, and his life fills our life. And that gives us an entirely more powerful way to live for God than the law ever could. We are filled with Christ and his love for us. His love is unbreakable towards his people. Paul is able to say this, Christ who loved me, and gave himself for me. If you have your Bible with you, circle the words me. Paul is speaking of the gospel in the most personal terms. And they are not just true for Paul. They are true for everybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. You can say, as a believer of Jesus Christ, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. That is a radical thing to think about. Christ died for you 
with his name with your name on his heart. He died for you who trust in him particularly and personally. When you sin then, you are actually sinning against blood that was shed for you. It wasn't just shed generally. It was shed for you as an individual, as a person with a name, as one who Christ is going to greet you with when you leave this life. Just like he said, Mary, to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. He has your name that he is going to speak to you. And you are going to see his hands, which have been engraved with your name. How can we not have great assurance and security in Christ's love? If Christ died on the cross to make you his, he will keep you his. Paul concludes this passage by saying, The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here perhaps is is the most important thing to recognize when we talk about faith. Faith is not a transaction. Faith is a relationship. To say, I believe in Jesus, is to say, I love Jesus, and I am his. The gospel teaches us that we do not overcome sin by going back to the law, but by going deeper into the love of Jesus who died for you, who bled for you, who rose from the dead for your life. If you love Jesus who gave himself for you personally, love for sin has to die. Your love for Jesus grows, your love for sin withers. Love for sin dies when love for Jesus grows. When we say we are saved by faith alone, we are saying that we live for Christ alone. This is the good news. The gospel is that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Because of this, we are completely righteous in God's eyes. We are fully free from the law's condemnation, and we are secure in God's transforming love. Judgment is coming. Do you know what will happen to you when you enter into God's judgment? What will you point to to say that God will count you among the righteous? The only answer that you can have is this. I have trusted in Jesus Christ alone. Have you put your faith in him? Don't look back at your past Don't look back at some decision that you made years ago. I want you to look at this week. I want you to look at this morning. I want you to think about tomorrow morning. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you putting your faith in him daily? It is this faith that allows you to start each day, regardless of what happened the day before, and know that God's mercies are new and that God's word is still for you. The gospel message that saved you by faith alone in Christ alone is the only message that can comfort you today, tomorrow, and in the face of death. And so I want to close with the first question from the Heidelberg Catechism. 
because it summarizes well the reason that we need to remain steadfastly committed to faith alone as a church and in our individual lives. The catechism begins, question, what is your only hope or your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches, watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, search our hearts. Where are we justifying ourselves that is not in Christ alone? Father, speak these words directly to us, that in Christ alone we are completely justified in your eyes, that in Christ alone we are completely free from the condemnation of the law, and that in Christ alone we are fully secure in your transforming love. Father, help us to live those truths each and every day as we put our faith again and again in Jesus Christ alone. It is because of his great salvation and our confidence in him that we pray the prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.